Uh, so that was our conversation with uh, Karen Terry, who headed the research team at John Jay College, uh, looking at this whole issue of uh, sexly activities, sex activities uh, between priests and younger people. Uh, and with us uh, as on a reaction, uh, with a reaction to this report, is uh, an observer of uh, sex panics and etc. Uh, Bill Andriette, who was a feature editor of the Guide magazine in Boston, formerly. Uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, are there g- um, good things you th- uh, think about um, that you liked in this report? Well, I have to say, listening to Karen, the phrase that comes to mind is the banality of evil. Um, and I mean that in the sense that uh, probably most listeners uh, wouldn't grasp at first uh, hearing. You know, listening to her talk about uh, this whole phenomenon, it's, it's so cold-blooded. You know, she could be talking about uh, Jewish uh, sex scenes, you know, for an academic study uh, in 1930s Germany. She could be talking about uh, black rapists in the Georgia 1930s. Um, she's just missing the whole human dimension here the of, of of you know the the many layers the many dimensions of of what went on here the many different kinds of phenomena it's all hidden behind this thick uh, clouded rhetoric uh, these terms these supposedly scientific terms of you know offender and uh, pedophile priest and abuse uh, but we never get to the human reality uh, certainly the the priests are never allowed to uh, to speak in, in this, and and the uh, and the, the words of the victims uh, have been filtered through uh, what has been a massive uh, hysteria and a massive looting of the church. Uh, we're talking, you know, two billion dollars that it's estimated the U.S. church has handed out. Um, and and when sums like that are involved, uh, and when you're hitting, you know, raw cultural nerves, uh, as you are with inevitably with, uh, with you know, quote unquote deviant sex, a term that appears in the uh, report a lot. Uh, reality just gets warped. Um, so there's no there's no recognition of that. It's just sort of breathtaking that someone who could call themselves a social scientist could be so clueless as to the context, uh, so unaware of of you know the broad uh, view that you need to take when you're dealing with an issue that's very inflamed at a given time in a given society. I think she's taking the um, legal definition right and considering everything abuse and so. Um, she did uh, concede there could be some emotional attachment between uh, a priest and an adolescent, but then she said that was wrong. Right, and and uh, you know after damning the report, you know let me. I mean, I think it's also a fascinating document and uh, and shows in some respects uh, the wisdom and uh, nuance compared to uh, to what we hear typically in the media, um, but. But the sort of voice that's, that's just not heard here at all, uh, that, that you know, can be heard ever so slightly elsewhere, uh, is, is totally missing from the report. Let me, let me read just an excerpt from an article that appeared in the South Florida Gay News in January. Um, and it's a very daring thing to publish. Uh, the gay paper I work for now, uh, the editor uh, refused to publish it. Um, so it, it's an interview with a man who's in his 70s who grew up in Italy after World War II, and he talks about uh, his first sexual experiences being with other altar boys, um, and then he goes on and talks about uh, visiting the, the movie theater that his father owned in this town. If I can read this little passage. Uh, when I was about 10 years old, I was in the movie theater in the back row on the aisle 
One of the priests was sitting next to me. He was the youngest of the seven, maybe 25 or 30 years old, and he was in charge of the youth groups. The other altar boys were spread throughout the theater. I felt his knee against my leg. I didn't move away. It felt very nice, all through the movie. Next week, the same thing, only I put on a lot more pressure. I started leaning against him. He took my hand and drew it into his robes and into his pants, and I grabbed his dick, and I have to say it was the best thing I ever felt in my life. I didn't want to let go of it for the rest of my life. I didn't move it. I just held it. I felt that either I had died and gone to heaven or that I was home. He goes on about uh, developing relationship with a man, and uh, and that he was, you know, says he was the aggressor. He goes on, I was absolutely not abused. After the first contact with me, I was going after that priest more than he was going after me. That's the truth. There's no doubt in my mind I wanted it more than he did. I think you bring up the issue that a lot of gay men uh, had positive sexual relationships with older guys uh, when they were growing up. And so that, that uh, testimony or that voice is totally obliterated in the media when they uh, label all this type of interaction abuse. Right. I mean, we're dealing with a whole range of phenomena, uh, but, but we do know some things. We know that the kinds of activities that went on were typically very mild. They, they were touching, fondling. Um, they were, as far as anyone can tell from the, you know, the lugubrious descent into the empirical data that uh, the folks at John Jay have uh, treated us to, that, uh, that they involve activities that were v- very often oriented toward pleasuring the younger partner. Uh, now, was all of this consensual? Was, are there issues involved when priests uh, make approaches to, to youngsters? I'm, I'm, absolutely, there. You know, it's a it's a complex terrain. But but the question is, is is this better handled through ordinary human smarts about um, about what's appropriate, about uh, how boundaries of appropriateness change as people get to know each other, um, about overall affect? Uh, is it best handled that way, or is it best handled with a, with a technical vocabulary that, uh, reading this report, I find immensely dehumanizing? Uh, but were you pleased that they did try to distinguish between the different um, terms, at least? Right, and they've gotten in a lot of trouble for that, uh, or they've gotten lots of criticism. I know the Boston Globe uh, had a an, an editorial damning this report, the Globe, which has been uh, sort of behind uh, a lot of the hysteria. Yeah, um, especially yeah, the think, Boston cases. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the yeah, the John Jay report is uh, does some very interesting things. It's very nuanced. Um, it tries to make some distinctions that are completely lost in the media. Uh, it makes a, a big distinction uh, between uh, pedophilia, attraction to uh, pre-adolescence, and uh, hebephilia, um, attraction to adolescence. Um, I mean, the one trouble with this report is that it takes all, all these terms that, that sound like, you know, they refer to absolute, you know, clear, crystalline things, um, and, and it misses how, how fuzzy and hazy uh, and, you know, they are in relation to the, the actuality of people's erotic lives. It reminds me of, um, you know, studies in the 50s, uh, before that, that criminal studies that looked at homosexuals as criminals, and so, um, you know, they were talking about all these deviant acts. And, but with the benefit of hindsight, you see that, you know, they were actually human beings. So that, you know, that, that's uh, important to bear in mind. 
Right. And, I mean, the other thing here is that, you know, pedophilic and hebephilic interest, uh, that is, you know, male, adult male sexual attraction to children and adolescents is incredibly common. Um, and, and we know this from um, some scientific studies that have been done with community samples. I mean, people not in prison, not in trouble right. for anything, completely normal people. Uh, one study from 1995, uh, 25% uh, reported uh, pedophilic interest or uh, showed uh, plethysmographic uh, arousal. That's you know, when they strap a uh, meter on the male's penis to, to judge his arousal when exposed to some sort of stimulus. Um, other, uh, st- another study done in, uh, in uh, Czechoslovakia back in 1970, they looked at 40 young, uh, 48 young Czech soldiers uh, shown slides of children between 4 and 10, both male and female. Penile responsivity to female children from 4 to 10 was intermediate to adolescents and adult females. Uh, all 48 uh, showed penile response to adult females, and 40 of the 48 did to adolescent females, and 28 of the 48 showed penile response to females 4 to 10. So, so we're dealing with, with feelings that are, that are just basic to male sexuality. I mean, not every male has them, but a, a huge proportion of people in the population do. And, and that's sort of why, you know, that's fodder for this sort of hysteria. Uh, you know, it was, it, it's long been known that people who crusade against homosexuals are much likelier to have some sort of homosexual feeling that they're struggling with themselves. And, right. and so, you know, rather than come use this, uh, you know, this, the, the tragedy of this abuse crisis as an opportunity to have a, 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 a wise discussion of, of the fact of this desire and, and ask, you know, why it exists, what forms can it, can it be expressed, uh, you know, what, what role does this sort of desire have in just ordinary adult male affect, affection to children, you know, which is, uh, you know, there's no question that, that young mothers have enormous erotic connections with their infants. Why can't we talk about the possible good ways in which these erotic feelings can feed, not in, not talking about sexual acts, but just feed into affection and attention? It seems like it, because everything is considered abuse that there's no room for this other kind of uh, observation or discussion. There isn't. And, and what's, what's really sad to me is that the Catholic Church, you know, I, I, I'm a, a leftist, I'm pro-sex, a sex radical, I've worked in the gay media all of my life, um, but I'm not anti-church. You know, I'm, I, I think it's so <laughs> important that uh, the Catholic Church uh, has, you know, continues to, to exist, it continues to have a voice. It represents uh, two millennia and more uh, of of. of of thinking about human morality and and the problems of of life and sex, uh, it's an enormously successful uh, whatever we may think of it. It's an enormously successful franchise. Uh, it's been enormously uh, adaptive to different cultures and different eras. It's it was, it's kind of you know America avant la lettre, right? It, it's it, it's this melting pot of um, right. of there yeah, are so many facets, it's so rich, uh, so many dimensions, so much conflict within its, its boundaries, so much discussion uh, that, that people you know, from vastly different parts of the world and cultures and backgrounds have found a home in it. 
Um, so, so there's this. You know, it's, the Catholics have been dealing with this issue since the beginning of the Church. Uh, I was talking to a historian the other day. He was telling me that uh, the the first one of the first monastic rules that was laid down uh, in the uh, early hundreds was uh, that uh, the the boy novices had to sleep between the oldest the oldest monks because you know they wanted to put a damper on on any sort of tomfoolery at night. Oh, so like as a kind of barrier, huh? Exactly, right. But, and so, yeah. you know, the, the, the traditional Catholic way of dealing with this, which was, you know, to treat the errant priest as an individual and to look at the whole context and to give him help and to give him support, uh, maybe move him to another parish, say, uh, don't do this again. You know, there's so much wisdom in that. I mean, this was the policy that the, our present pope was following when, when he was in, in charge of priests. Um, so, so compare that to the, the demonizing language um, of this report and just the refusal to consider uh, that, that the current ideology, the current uh, au courant scientific terms, quote-unquote, uh, that they fully describe this phenomena. When the Church brings thousands of years of, of awareness of the crooked timber that is humanity to this question. How about this whole issue of uh, looking at... Um same-sex behavior rather than so much uh, identity, gay identity, because they seem to be a divorcing identity from the behavior in some sense. Well, uh, I mean, even I think the report grants that it's on slippery ground here. You know, they, I think it wants to try to make the claim uh, that there's more representation of, of homosexuals in the priesthood post-1980 um, and, and that's sort of, uh, you know, that cohort uh, didn't show so much of a, a propensity to, quote-unquote, abuse. Um, uh, but, you know, I find it really hard to believe that in the, you know, in the 40s and 50s, um, when there, there wasn't much of a chance of, a, uh, of an open gay life, that the priesthood uh, to young Catholic males who had sort of same-sex propensities, the priesthood wasn't very a very tempting place to go. I mean, it's been sort of a traditional place where uh, where sort of same-sex or asexual or non-heterosexually oriented young men could could go and have a uh, have a career, have standing, right. accepted, have a good purpose in life. So, I mean. Um I know you've looked into this whole discussion about the the diagnostic diagnostic manual that the psychologists and psychiatrists use, um, and there's a revision in the works. How is um, this revision to the DSM five going to affect uh, how the state deals with or how these uh, institutions deal with this issue? Um, well, uh, there's a there's a move afoot to uh, to expand the definition of of pedophilia uh, to rename it uh, pedophilia hebophilia, um, and uh, to make uh, you know people with attraction to um, to non sexually mature adolescents, uh, I guess somewhere between you know 11 and 14, to to make them uh, fall into this diagnostic category. Um, oh. It's being opposed. Uh, the, by many people within and beyond psychiatry, the former editor of the uh, DSM opposes it uh, very vociferously. Uh, Richard Green, uh, a, a well-known uh, psychiatrist uh, in London, uh, wrote in the archive sexual behavior saying, you know, this is absolute madness. Um, because so many males would fall under 
this category. If you you know if you scratch if you scratch a male, a uh, typical adult male, you'll find someone who's attracted to uh, to adolescents. Look at all the the interest in uh, uh, teenage contests, you know, beauty contests. I mean, isn't that a pretty prevalent kind of thing among heterosexuals as well? Right. I mean. Uh, um, you know, there, there's always been a, a sort of an erotic uh, dimension, I think, to um, to adult interaction with young people. Uh, and you know, I'm sort of inclined to think that if something is is that common, then it's probably natural, and and we should probably uh, not be so quick to condemn it, and you know, ask what. You know what function does it serve? What function did it serve? Uh, how can we mobilize and and contain these impulses today? You know, rather than demonizing the impulses, rather than demonizing uh, people who who, st- who show them. You know, the question I asked uh, at Karen Terry, um, who headed this research team uh, looking into this from John Jay College, I asked her about what difference uh, gay, um, or, I mean, uh, lower age of consent laws would have affected how what difference that would have had on this uh, situation and um of course in the US they're pretty much now set at at 18 right the um, that's certainly the tendency i mean many states have slightly lower ages of consent but uh, because of sort of increased federal involvement in in small scale uh, you know sex offenses um there's an effective natural national age of consent of 18 you know if you if you call your uh, if you're t- 20 and you call your 17 year old girlfriend on uh, your cell phone then uh, you know suddenly you're in violation of the man act Tech- and texting especially sexting or whatever you call it right uh, right yeah and uh, although I think some jurisdictions in the past, I remember, have they all changed? Some jurisdictions, uh, some police jurisdictions, would decline to prosecute if the age difference was too small. Is that right? right? I mean, uh, you know, we've gone uh, you know, so draconian in our in our sex laws regarding uh, anything to do with minors that uh, you know that, that it's having lots of unintended, you know, quote unquote consequences. Uh, so it's lots of. Uh, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds are suddenly facing 30, 40, 50 years in prison uh, for, you know, casual sort of sex games that they might have, uh, or, you know, exhibitionism that they might have recorded on their cell phone. Uh, and especially uh, being uh, labeled a sex offender um, for life. Uh, right. I mean, the federal law requires, not all states are, uh, are in line yet, but federal law requires uh, all uh, offenders uh, 14 and up uh, to be exposed for life very often on, uh, on online sex registries. Yeah, and those uh, give you the, give the addresses even. Right, I right. Think. Many yeah. states, yeah. So many states, uh, the police put that up. Uh, so I mean, that, that's, uh, you know, I mean, part of what's so frustrating about uh, the re- this report is that it's, it's missing the whole sort of political context here. Um, it's missing how how sex has become uh, this uh, this real flashpoint in American society and you know throughout the West uh, for massive criminalization for uh, massive incarceration for massive demonization all sort of under the guise of entertainment uh, you know it's a it's uh, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a, a, a spin on uh, Marcuse's repressive tolerance uh, except there's no tolerance you know it's it's repression uh, for entertainment. Uh, you know, shows like To Catch a Predator um, or, you know, the, the utter spectacle around uh, uh, the, the, the 
Dominique uh, Strauss-Kahn. Um, you know, it's it's very uh, it's a very dangerous situation. Naomi Klein has a great column today, uh, a great column on Reuters today. Um, uh, I read a passage from it. Uh, we li- now live in a world in which men like former New York Governor Elliot Spitzer, who is investigating financial wrongdoing by the insurance giant AIG. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange and Strauss Kahn, whose efforts to reform the IMF gained him powerful opponents, can be and are kept under constant surveillance. Indeed, Strauss Kahn, who had been the odds-on favorite to defeat Sarkozy in next year's presidential election in France, probably interested more than one intelligence agency. Um, this does not mean Strauss Kahn is innocent or that he's guilty. It means that policy outcomes can be advanced nowadays in a surveillance society by exploiting or manipulating sex crime charges, whether real or inflated. And you know, so and when there are billions of dollars at stake, when when saying that you know a priest did something to me 30 years ago, something that could never be proven or unproven, means you get hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, then you know there's no way to to find out what actually happens. You can have you can have a truth commission, you can have people tell their stories, but as soon as you pay people off for being victims, um, then you lose any chance of understanding what's going on. And and that's a fundamental flaw of this report. Uh, there's simply no awareness of of this basic fact of human motivation. And like you said uh, in your quote from the gay paper, there uh, is a whole world out there that uh, of of gay guys who. Uh, had uh, positive relationships with older guys when they were growing up, and so that's just totally ignored. Uh, right. I mean, you know, uh, this the, the study purports to be a, a, a literature review, uh, and, and it misses, uh, you know, key academic papers in the literature. Uh, it's just sort of breathtaking. Uh, for instance, uh, let me quote a, uh, um, a study done uh, in uh, the mid-'60s, um, I can find it here. Uh, um, um, well, I mean, there's just been many. There've been many studies. I mean, there was a study of a of a, a man in Australia who had, you know, who, uh, something like a thousand contacts with boys and kept, you know, very detailed records of each one. He's he's hardly a model uh, citizen, but um, but a sociologist uh, in Australia went and tracked down as many of those boys as he could. Not one had ever made a complaint against him. And, and very few of them had anything but positive things to say about their encounters. Um, a, a 1965 study uh, by Gebert of uh, the Kinsey Institute uh, examined 91 forensic cases of boys 12 to 15 who had sexual encounters with men. These are cases that came to official court attention, so it's already highly negatively skewed, right? Uh, the boys were encouraging 70% of the time, passive 11%, resistant 16%. These are boys 12 to 15 uh, he remarked in the paper that if 12 to 15-year-old girls had as developed libidos as boys of the same age, our penal institutions would burst at the seams. Um, so this is stuff you could say in 1965. Uh, I, you know, oddly, the paper, uh, the John Jay report, quotes Susan Clancy, who came out uh, the year before last with a book that got lots of attention, The Trauma Myth. Uh, All right. And and she, you know, Harvard-educated psychologist, uh, points out that you know the idea that that sexual abuse causes terrible trauma just isn't true. She, she's hardly for it. Uh, she says it's bad for all kinds of reasons, but but the claim that it causes trauma just is not substantiated. 
uh, a late study, a study done in the late 90s uh, that was condemned by U.S. Congress uh, from a researcher at Temple University right. found that if you take a, a community sample, it's a non-clinical sample of people who have experienced child sexual abuse, uh, you find that three out of a hundred of them have psychological problems serious enough to warrant attention by standard criteria. But in the general population, it's two out of a hundred. So, so just this tiny, tiny difference. Uh, and it's just breathtaking to me that the John Jay report, uh, you know, supposedly objective social science, doesn't consider those factors. So the, basically you're saying the literature review was uh, pretty uh, limited. Well, it was it was extensive, but it was. Uh, I mean, I think it was politically. I mean, it was a politically very smart report. I mean, I think they did. They said some things uh, that haven't been said elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, they made some distinctions, but you know, they couldn't bring themselves to say other things. I mean, literally, uh, they would. You know, the church would probably face you know hundreds of millions of dollars more in damages if they were seen as not absolutely towing the current ideological line on this. And the, um, you know, they do have little snippets of uh, paragraphs of uh, other groups like the Boy Scouts and the other other uh, social institutions, for instance, and what happened there. But most of those seem to be from journalistic accounts. Um, they included some some data from that, I guess. Right, right. I mean, I think the difference between those other institutions and the church, uh, which isn't mentioned in the report, is that the church was a sitting duck. You know, it's right. uh, church. You know, membership has been declining. The, the you know numbers of nuns and monks has been declining. Uh, number of priests uh, has been declining, and so the Catholic Church is sitting on a huge amount of property and wealth accumulated over the centuries, and so. They're a very tempting target. I mean, what is Boy Scout? What do the Boy Scouts own? You know, do they even own the camps where they go? You know, so 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 the the money is is the real story here. Just as you know, just as it's the real story in American politics. It's the real story behind this scandal and behind all the journalistic attention and all the, the you know Pulitzer prizes and it's you know it does a, a self. Uh, feeding cycle of lawyers and and quote unquote victims and and media and and billions of dollars have been uh, made free to circulate uh, in the process. It seems that you're either a perpetrator or a survivor, and that's uh, almost those are kind of. Uh, I mean, though we've come to see this uh, interaction in those terms, and uh, so the whole world is divided into victims or or survivors or perpetrators. Right, it's it's a very you know it's 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 a very black and white uh, situation, and uh, uh, and it's you know how sad uh, that uh, you know if this, if this stuff was going to be talked about, you know uh, there was a chance to have a a, a, a nuanced discussion, um, but you know it, it, obviously the Catholic approach to this uh, has been not to talk about it, and and you know post sexual revolution we now feel we can. We can talk about anything, uh, and and certainly you know the media exploit our uh, fascination with sex and accidents and death and uh, so forth. Um, it, you know, this that this scandal uh, makes me think sometimes that uh, that you know that there's perhaps a wisdom in keeping a lid on things. Uh, that uh, that once once everything is up for discussion. Uh, it's 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 possible to uh, to 
to foment these uh, these hysterias that uh, that that feed on money and greed um, and uh, and really distort the underlying human reality. You know, the uh, re- are you surprised at the reaction of the established gay groups to the report? Um, well, a few bones were thrown to them, right? Um, and I think that was also part of the politics here. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time sort of since I don't really believe in these categories, you know, I don't, uh, I, I don't think there's an absolute, you know, form of uh, gay identity that, that that absolutely excludes attraction to adolescence. And I think a lot of people whose main attraction is to, you know, men or women also feel some sort of erotic feelings uh, for people younger. So, so I have a hard time, uh, you know, buying into this uh, this very safe uh, way of looking at the world that there, there are these sexual monsters out there and they are not us. Um, mm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the report, uh, you know, coming from a very uh, politically correct, uh, liberal, ideological perspective, uh, you know, underlines, underscores that, uh, that gays in the priesthood uh, are no more likely to uh, molest boys than, uh, than anybody else. You know, the, that's why I was wondering why this report didn't even deal with the uh, issue of punishment. Because, uh, you know, there is this group called uh, Reform Sex Laws, um, in the group that's trying to reform sex offender laws. And, um, you know, it, none of that is addressed in this report. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that these laws are becoming more and more draconian, as you say. And so uh, none, of these, none of that is being discussed. Yeah, I mean, it's one. very you know, uh, sad to, to read this report and see a mention of uh, Father John Gagan, for instance, who uh, whose case uh, was one of the major cases uh, you know the, exploited in the in the Boston Globe. Uh, he was convicted of of one charge. He was convicted of of patting a boy on his behind in a public pool. Mm. Now there were other there were other allegations made against him, uh, but they have to be colored by the fact uh, that there was a. Uh, a thirty million dollar uh, settlement uh, um, in that case. Uh, I'm not sure if it was actually. I'm looking at Wikipedia here. It might have ended up being ten million dollars, but it says negotiations are still in progress with other victims. So, so, uh, so that testimony is uh, is certainly dubious, given the uh, the uh, the fact that it was testimony for money. Uh, but so he, we know he did one thing. Now he ended up. Uh, getting strangled and stomped to death in prison in 2003. Uh, so the report mentions him, but it doesn't mention his fate. Uh, the report also mentions uh, Father Shanley, uh, the, the prize conviction in, uh, in Boston. Uh, he was someone who was convicted on the basis of recovered memories. Someone, right. two, two men, you know, suddenly recall uh, things that went on when they were six. No one else at the, in, at, on the scene in, in, the, in the Catholic school, in the church, uh, recalled anything like what these young men said happened. Stanley had a, a long history of gay relationships with adult men. It's very unlikely he, he did these things with these six-year-olds. Uh, recovered memory testimony is not allowed in most courts in most states, uh, but it was allowed in this case, and he was convicted and basically given a life sentence. So yeah. it mentions him, uh, mentions Gagan, but it doesn't mention their fates. Yeah, in that that's case, part of the cold-bloodedness yeah. of, of this report, I think. And in that case, actually, the professor from UC Irvine, um, uh, Beth Loftus, actually testified uh, on Shani's behalf uh, in the case against recovered memory, but her testimony was dismissed, uh, was right. discounted. 
um, right. in that case. And uh, Orange County also had a recent case in which a uh, uh, accused offender was actually beat up, to d- beaten to death by a sheriff's deputies, or by a sheriff's deputy ordered him uh, beat to death, beaten mm-hmm. to death. So these are kind of the consequences of all these draconian uh, sex panic laws uh, that are prevalent. But, you know, it seems to me that it's surprising that uh, if if what you say is true, that there's actually a lot of gay men who had positive relationships, uh, how come they're not going to sue the Catholic Church and try to get money from the Catholic Church? Well, I'm sure some of them are and some of them have. Uh, and, you know, whether they're gay or not, I don't know how relevant that is. Uh, um, but, you know, if, if, uh, if, if someone, you know, offers you $500,000 for saying something happened 20 years ago and, and, and writing out with a lawyer a, uh, a cooking up a report, and uh, then it's, it's going to be something that's awfully tempting to do. Right, so that might still happen. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Bill Andriette, uh, a critic of this report, it turns out. And, uh, and earlier we had Karen Terry on, who is the author of this report, uh, of the research team that put out this report, uh, submitted to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. On uh, The title is The Causes and Context of Sexual Abuse of Minors by Catholic Priests in the United States, 1950 to 2010. Well, thanks very much, uh, Bill. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, so that was our um, analysis, uh, pro and con, of this new c- uh, report on uh, child sexuality by Catholic priests um, that was issued last week, and we had talked to the chief uh, researcher on this uh, report and then also a critic from the gay media about this report. Uh, this is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity. Coming up, The Dread Zone. Uh, here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.